Amen. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, uh, verses 1 through 3 this evening. We turn a corner in the book, though it's closely tied, as we'll see in a moment, chapter 10. Tonight we turn to a chapter that's been called the Hall of Faith, or the Westminster Abbey of the Faithful, a chapter... We'll spend, uh, Lord willing, the months of June, July, and part of August studying. Here, the author will speak of the faith of these saints, or these saints who had faith. Now, uh, John Calvin says this, Whoever made this the beginning of the 11th chapter, that is verse 1, has unwisely disjointed the context. For the object of the apostle was to prove what he had already said. In other words, you turn to chapter 11 and it seems to be all about faith and it is, but it seems perhaps you might be led to think it has no connection to what went before or or because of the chapter division to miss the connection. But it is intimately connected with what he had said before. At the end of chapter 10, he quoted the prophet Habakkuk saying, The just shall live by faith. And at the end of chapter 10, he said, And we are of those who have faith and preserve the soul. Now, how do we know that if if indeed we are of those who have faith, that we preserve the soul? How can he say this so confidently? How can he say... We enjoy verse 34, chapter 10, verse 34. How can he say we enjoy a better possession and an abiding one? How can he say, verse 35, we receive a great reward? Or verse 36, we receive what is promised to us by God. How can he be so confident that we who are of faith are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed? Verse 39, but we who are of faith. Preserve the soul. Well, here, chapter 11 is how we can be so confident, and he piles up examples of this for us and of this kind of faith. And so let me invite you then to pay attention to God's word from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. This is the word of God. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, The conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Amen. This is God's word. May he write it in our hearts. Let's look to him in prayer. And our Lord and our God, the grass withers and the flowers fade because the breath of the Lord blows on them. The grass wither and the flower fade, but the word of God stands forever. Grant that this word would bring joy to the heart, would enlighten the eye, would restore our soul. Show us Jesus again. In his name I pray. Amen. How do we know that if we are those who are of faith, 
how do we know that we will preserve the soul and enjoy what we hope for? Verses 1 to 3 are a confirmation that we will. Uh, Verse 1 by way of explanation. Verse 2 by way of example. And then the chapter is going to give all the particular examples. And verse 3 by way of illustration. So you have an, an explanation you have the start of his example, and then you have verse 3, an illustration or a particular example. Uh, so uh, before we dive into those things, a few words about the faith he is speaking of here. Some people think about faith the way the little girl thinks about faith when she was asked to define it. And she replied, well, faith is believing what you know ain't so. <laughs> That's what many people think faith is a blind leap in the dark a a gamble turn off your brain don't listen to evidence don't evaluate whether christianity is true just blindly jump off a cliff and hope it works out that's how some people think of faith that isn't what he's talking about that isn't what he's been talking about for the last 10 chapters he's been talking about trusting in jesus to save you from your sin this is the kind of faith he's been talking about You aren't asked to believe in a Jesus who just appears out of nowhere with no warning, no preparation, no introduction, no backstory, and no information about what he's done or who he is. You are instead invited to believe in a Jesus whom God spent thousands of years of human history preparing us for through promises and prophecies through pictures and copies, through Old Covenant priests and Old Covenant sacrifices, all of them foresignifying Christ, the Messiah who was to come. So we say believe in the Jesus of Hebrews chapter 1 to 10. Chapter 1, he's the heir of all things through whom God made the universe. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his nature. He is... The one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's the one who in chapter 1 and 2 is better than the angels. Why? Because he's their creator and they serve him. He's chapter 3 better than Moses. Why? Jesus is the son over God's house who builds God's house. And Moses is but a servant in that house. Jesus chapter 4 on through 10 is better than Aaron. the, The high priest. Because Jesus is the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of the Levites and Aaron. And Jesus is a better, better sacrifice. Better than the old covenant animal sacrifices. Because he is the priest who offered himself the single sacrifice that takes away sin. And he rose from the dead and he is seated at the right hand of God. The Baptist preacher C.H. Spurgeon said, It is not your hold on Christ that saves you. It is Christ. It is not your joy in Christ that saves you. It is Christ. It is not even your faith in Christ that saves you, though that be the instrument. It is Christ's blood and His merit. That is what saves you. In other words, faith is the instrument by which you grab hold or, or lay hold of Him Who saves? Faith is, as J.I. Packer put it, maybe others, is the empty, outstretched hand of the beggar receiving the gift of God's 
riches in Christ. Faith is the cup into which God pours his grace. Faith is lots of things, but it isn't empty, it isn't mindless, it isn't a blind leap in the dark. It is faith in Jesus revealed in history and in scripture. So we want to think about this faith and why it is that if we believe in Jesus, he can say so confidently, well then, it preserves the soul. We will persevere to the end. We'll have what we're hoping for, looking forward to. And so I want to highlight four things then as we come to the outline. In verse 1, he speaks of faith here. Faith is, he says, and I'll explain this, the title deed to all that God has promised. End of verse 1, faith is the legal evidence you have what God promised. Verse 2, faith is what is commended in God's people. And verse 3, faith believes the word of God's power. It is verse 1 about what God has promised. It is about God's people and it is about God's power. In the first place, faith is the title deed to all that God has promised. Notice the language here. Verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, what is he talking about? And before I get to that, he's helping you see that this is why faith preserves the soul. Uh, Last week we talked about other reasons why we can believe that, other assurances that we have, the unchangeable nature of God's love for us. He loves us with an everlasting love. The merit and intercession of Jesus. Jesus always lives to intercede for us. He doesn't fail in his intercession on our behalf. The giving of the Holy Spirit has come into our hearts. God doesn't walk away from a down payment he's made to us. All these and other things. We can speak of he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. But notice here, he's building his argument simply on this. You, who are the people who have faith, That itself is the evidence you will persevere. You will have what you hope for. Why do I say that? Well, assurance here in the ESV is an unusual word translated in very different ways across translations. In fact, I dreaded preaching this passage because until this week, I don't think I had any idea what this passage meant. And I'm going to explain why that is. The ESV, that's what we read from, English Standard Version, the New American Standard, NAS, uh, as well as many others, say assurance. Now, faith is assurance. Whereas the New International Version say faith is confidence. Uh, Some translations say faith is being sure of what we hope for. But consider an alternative translation, the King James And the new King James. Faith is the substance, it says, of things hoped for. The word behind that has many shades of meaning. If you were to look at, as authorities tell me, the the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, there are 12 different Hebrew words translated into one Greek word, this word. It has... A variety of shades of meaning. And what you have in um, these different translations are, are, are two major strands. One is taking it in a subjective sense. And the other is taking it in an objective sense. 
In other words, is he talking about the quality of our faith, or is he talking about the presence of faith, the reality of faith? If he's talking about the quality of faith, he's talking about then how sure we are or how certain we are or how strong our faith is or how assured it makes us personally. But if he's talking about the reality of it, the presence of it, the fact that you have it, then he's saying that itself is the guarantee of what you're hoping for. So the subjective understanding is faith is itself, it means confidence in what you hope for. Faith is assurance of what you hope for. It makes you convinced of what you hope for. But the object of understanding is that faith itself is the title deed of what we hope for. Its reality guarantees the reality of the other, independent of the strength of my assurance or the strength of my certainty. And I simply want to say that Christians find in their own experience that their faith ebbs and flows in weakness and strength. Our personal assurance, our personal certainty may ebb and flow, grow strong or weak, but that doesn't make the reality any less true or certain. Uh, the story is told of a traveler who in the early days of the West crossing the Mississippi discovered there was no bridge. He was unfamiliar with the river, and it was winter, and so there was this massive sheet of ice over the river, and he was uh, afraid, and he was concerned, but he had to get across, he, but he didn't, trust him, uh, he didn't trust it very well, and so not knowing how thick it was, he, he sort of crawled out onto the ice, and, and, and very, as you, know, you can imagine, as gently as he could, put his weight on it and got out. And then he hears, as he's on his hands and knees halfway across, he hears a singing from behind him, and he turns, and out of the dusk comes another traveling, driving, uh, traveler driving a four-horse load of coal over the ice, singing as he went. Somebody, obviously, who had great confidence. Both are on the ice, both have faith, have placed their faith in the ice, but the quality of faith in one is strong and the quality in the other is weak. But it is not the belief, the believing, but it is the object of the belief that keeps them safe. And so it is in a believer that faith may be strong or weak, but its presence, small as a mustard seed, is all that is needed. Because faith is objective, I believe, here. Faith is the title deed of what we hope for. It gives us possession of the things God has promised that we hope for, that we long for, that we do not yet enjoy, but have been promised to us, that we have not seen with our eyes. But we long for. This word in that way is used of documents that attest or provide evidence of the ownership of something. The title deed isn't the ha- a title deed of a house isn't the house itself. The title deed assures you that the house is yours. To have the title deed is to possess the property. So here, to have faith, 
means you have what you hope for. Now, why would that be? Again, what kind of faith is he talking about? He's talking about trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, trusting in Jesus to be the priest who gives you access to God. You have God in the flesh as your Savior. If you have Him, you have everything in Him. You have, in the language of the Apostle Paul, you have the unsearchable riches of Christ. You have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You have, you have things you haven't seen yet with the eye. But you are a co-heir with Jesus of all things. So all things are yours. Why does it work that way? Because faith itself is part of the gift of God's grace to us in salvation. Which is a salvation that is a gift from beginning to end. Faith is God's gift, friends. Philippians chapter 1, verses 29, verse 29 says this. The Apostle Paul says, for it has been granted to you. Now he's writing to a church at Philippi where um, they're suffering, where some have suffered for the sake of Christ, some have been imprisoned. And he's writing from imprisonment. And he says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. He's trying to encourage them that in their suffering, God has granted or gifted them this suffering for the sake of Jesus. But as an aside, he says, it's just like faith itself. It was granted or gifted to you by God to believe in him and to suffer for him. You see this in the book of Acts in the the conversion story of Lydia, the seller of purple cloth, when it says in Acts chapter 16 that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I'm simply saying this, since God has given you the beginning, he's also going to give you the ending. Since he gifted you faith in Jesus, opened your eyes, opened your heart, showed you his glory and grace, and by his spirit bound you to Christ through believing in Jesus. He's not going back on that work. He's not giving up on what he's begun. That faith itself is the title deed to all the rest. And so faith is here the title deed of of that which we hope for, that which we wait for. Uh, and, And then secondly, second half of that clause, verse one, faith is also the legal evidence that you have what is promised. Again, back in the ESV, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And again, we come back to the same issue of subjective or objective translation. Uh, On the one hand, the subjective conviction, um, a a personal uh, certainty. You'll even have the NIV here use the word assurance at this point. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and the assurance of what you have not seen. So it's very personal. But the other way to look at it is the way that the word is often used. It's used for that which is objectively true, that which is evidence, or that which is proof. It can be used in a legal context to bear witness as evidence in a court case. In other words, if you had to be convicted, or if you were put on trial, and somebody had to convict you in a court of law over whether you have 
what he calls an abiding possession, a better possession, a reward that you're longing for that's certainly yours. It would be the presence of faith now that would be the legal evidence to convict you. We're, um, we're in the process, as we often are, of returning things to a store that we've bought and then discovered that we really don't want or can't use or what have you. I, I bought sunglasses for the youth float trip for somebody else in the family as I bought some for myself and promptly lost in the river. But uh, we're returning those. Uh, they aren't exactly what we wanted. Melina offered to return them for me. I had purchased them the night before, and, and she said, I need the receipt. Do you have the receipt? You never know for sure, but the odds are I've got the receipt if you've ever seen the fatness of my wallet, because most receipts end up in there. And so after a time of looking and searching, I found the receipt. Now she's going to return those glasses to the service counter, and they're going to want proof of purchase. They're going to want some proof that we bought them there at Walmart so that we can then have the money that we paid for them restored. They don't want people, as you can imagine, wandering into the store, grabbing things off the shelf, taking them to the service counter and returning them for money they never paid out. Right? Give me some evidence. Give me some proof. Show me the receipt. Well, here, if you have faith in Jesus... That is the evidence of things not seen. These things will be yours. These things are yours in Jesus. Now the third thing he says about faith is this. Faith brings God's commendation to God's people. He turns to an example, verse 2. He's going to flesh out that example across the whole Old Testament, across the course of this entire chapter. But notice he says, verse 2, for by it, that is by faith, the people of old received their commendation. Or by it, they gained uh, approval from God or a testimony uh, from God. And the, the, the implication is that this is from God and the Bible speaks about it. Faith marked them as belonging to God. It was the distinguishing mark that they belonged to God, that they were his. And and this is important. He brings up these Old Testament believers because his first hearers that he was writing to had come to believe in Jesus out of Judaism, but they were tempted to turn away and go back to Judaism. And they needed to see that the people they admired across their Old Testament history, their ancestry, the people they admired lived like they lived and did what they did by faith in God's promised Messiah. And he's saying, look, if you depart from Christ, you aren't just departing from Christ and going back to the patriarchs. You're departing from Christ and you're departing from the patriarchs because they had the faith we're describing. So to renounce Christ would mean they would be deserting their forefathers. And so he says, look at all your heroes, he says. What were they commended for in the Bible by God's word? What were they commended for? Verse 4, by faith Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up. He did not see death. 
It pleased God. Verse 7, by faith Noah built an ark for the saving of his household. He goes on. By faith. By faith. By faith. They were saved by faith. They were justified by faith. They were forgiven by faith. They obeyed in faith. They suffered for the faith. They hoped in faith. Their faith is your faith. Their God is your God. Their Messiah is your Messiah. What God commended them for, God commends people today still for faith. What you need, God supplies. What God commands, He also gives. And when he sees it, he commends it. And he's commending his own work. It's a strange thing. But if you look at verse 6 about Enoch. Look there at verse 6 about Enoch. um, Where after describing him it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Where do you get the faith that pleases God? Well, we've already said it's a gift. And at the very end of the book, in Hebrews chapter 13, the benediction the writer gives, the benediction we often give here, he says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you, with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is well pleasing in his sight by faith Enoch pleased God how did you walk in a way that pleases God by faith and God works in us that which is well pleasing to him you are utterly and always dependent upon him And so God's word commends God's people for faith. And then finally, another lesson on faith at verse 3. Faith believes the word of God's power. Verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Listen, I suppose everybody has a faith answer to how the world began. Or how it came to be, or how it how we got here. Even if the answer is, it's always been. That's a faith answer. There are only two explanations for the origin of the universe: either human speculation or God's revelation. The most popular view today, I think, still is the Big Bang Theory, at least in the popular consciousness, that the universe was caused by a massive outward explosion of some incredibly dense material. But that begs the question, where did the incredibly dense material come from? And why did it explode? And there simply are no satisfactory answers about that apart from God. There are no satisfactory answers about that 
by simply the scientists telling us. It's beyond the scope of the scientific method to know. It's not something we can see. It's not something any human ever saw. It's not a repeatable experiment. People take it on faith. And so likewise here for believers. We take it on faith. We hear an explanation and we choose to believe it. By faith we believe what we have never seen, he says. We have come to understand, he says, and to embrace that the universe was formed by God's command. He spoke and it came into being. He said, let there be light. And there was light. We weren't there to witness it. We can't verify it by the scientific method or repeating experiments. We don't have any human authorities who are alive and around that we can trust who saw it. Nobody. It predates even Adam and Eve. Nobody saw it. But we have come to believe Genesis 1 verse 1. If you're a Christian, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We have come to believe it was by the word of his command that he brought it into being. And his point is, this is an illustration of genuine faith. It's an illustration then of saving faith. In this sense, God has made promises to us in Jesus about our future with him based on his priestly work for us. And did any of us see him die on the cross? No. You've simply got the word of God telling you he died on the cross so that you could be pardoned. Can you see being forgiven? No. You believe what he speaks, his promise. Can you see the resurrection? No. One day, face to face, you'll see the resurrected Lord. You have not seen him yet. Have you seen the new heavens and the new earth and the glory that is to come? Have you seen everlasting life? No. All these things you take on faith, believing what God has spoken in his word. His word is powerful. He has promised. His word is trustworthy. He does what he says. His word is capable of creating everything that is by saying simply be. And it comes into being. And so he's saying as in the past, so also in the future. As you believe God spoke and he brought into being that which is seen from things which are not seen. So you can believe and hope in with great anticipation that which you have not seen, but he has promised. God said, be light. And there was light. God, as in creation, so in recreation, we are called, as all believers always have been, to simply trust his word. Now, do you feel weak in doing so? Then pray with the disciples who said, Lord, increase our faith. And remember the promise of Jesus. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake? None of you. Or if he asked for bread, would give him a stone? 
kind of looks like bread, but he's going to bust his teeth on it. You wouldn't do that either. And Jesus said, you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And there's no better gift than the gift of faith in a great Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, grant us this faith. Help us to rest our souls on Jesus and to look forward to life with Jesus forever. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.